If you're looking to add value to your business, make more sales and work less, this is the podcast for you. Kobe Simet's special skill is helping business owners earn more and work less. His coaching program provides business owners with the tools and strategies they need to grow, scale, and sell a business. In this session, I talked to Kobe about his crazy mission that saw him create 36,000 social media posts in just one year. And we talk about why he did it, how he did it, what he got from that, and his tips on how you can overcome your fear of creating content and putting it out into the world. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers Centre. If you'd like to build a copywriting business, work with clients you like and charge more for your services, then you must listen to this podcast. And funnily enough, we have just the course for you as well. Our How to Build a Successful Copywriting Business covers everything you need to know about launching a copywriting side hustle, finding clients and making money from it in the way that suits you from wherever you happen to be in the world. Marion Lee has completed the course and she said, I thought I needed a marketing degree or a business degree to set up a business, but I don't. I learned more in this course about how to build a business than I did in three years studying marketing at uni. This course is a marketing kit in a box. I highly recommend it. If you're new to business and you want to hit the ground running, do this course. Well, thank you, Marion, for that vote of confidence. And I couldn't agree more. I've been teaching at universities for over 25 years, and I know you do not need a marketing degree to start a copywriting business. If you'd like to learn more about how to enroll in our courses, visit writerscentre.com.au forward slash success. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Kobe Simmet, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to uh, spend some quality time with you. And um, I'm really excited to be sharing what, uh, what we're going to be talking about in this session because uh, uh, it was a big workload and, and a lot of fun. And um, I think I've got a lot to offer. So hopefully I can help one person out there. And if, more, if it's more than one, I'll be, uh, I'll be super, uh, super happy. Excellent, Kobe. And, you know, what I really am interested in talking to you about is the, the concept of the 36 thousand posts on social media in 12 months to promote your business. But first up, tell me a bit about the business that you were promoting with those 36,000 posts. Yeah, look, um, we're, a, we're a management consultancy uh, organization who really helps focus on um, helping businesses. Like, you know, we're kind of like, I guess, business coaches on steroids, if you like. So we look at, you know, we look at a bit more strategy. We look at a bit more science. Uh, we're we're kind of less personal development people. Uh, the company's called Best Practice. Uh, and if you are in Australia listening to this podcast, you may see the Best Practice ticks on vehicles as you're driving around town. And if you haven't seen them, you'll probably see them everywhere now that I've mentioned it. Um, so yeah, we help organisations uh, to improve their, their offer, their product or their service. Then we help to improve the situation for the different stakeholders involved. So that might be staff or customers or people, uh, then we'll look at process improvement, and then we'll look at you know hopefully the financial side of the business, so that you know there's enough money left over from from the sale, if you like, um, of, of the product or service for the owner to continue to operate, if that makes sense. So that's kind of taking you know something quite complex in terms of strategy right down to uh, you know the the very basics. But um, 
know, we'll touch on things like risk management. We'll touch on things like, you know, big corporates doing tenders, but we'll also help small businesses. And I'm a, I mean, I see myself as a small business. Um, you know, fundamentally, we're looking at trying to improve everything ourselves. So um, we sandbox at best practice, you know, which is testing and A-B testing, if you like. And then uh, we figure out what works and then we teach people, show people or do it for them. Um, you know, outside of the business. And that can be anything from strategy to business planning to sales to marketing to operations to finance. So it's it's quite it's quite diverse. And quite comprehensive. And maybe, Kobe, could you just take us through maybe an example of a client that you worked with, just so the people listening can understand, you know, one particular aspect that you did for them, for example? Yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, we, we were working with um, one of our lovely clients who uh, we have a lots, of, lots of fun with. Um, they are private lifeguards for swimming pools so they the public swimming pool if you guys cruise down to the local swimming pool um some places that is that is run by the local council in some places it's a private contractor so we helped them come up with the offer and what they were going to put to the client we helped them build the risk management plan so if you're taking your family and you're taking your kids you know in school holidays down to the local swimming pool um you know looking at all the things that could go wrong looking at all the things that you know could be part of a compelling offer or service um, pitching that to the local authority, um, and then consequently, uh, you know, they won that tender. So they they are out around Australia um, as a as a private lifeguarding uh, organisation, um, and they've got trained people making sure that everybody's safe, but also that the experience that you have when you go to that public swimming pool is a good one. So um, quite an interesting little niche business, which meant that we couldn't just Google to find out how to um, how to make that business successful. Uh, because there's not many of them around. We actually had to work quite closely with them. Um, and we visit them every six months and, and we look at their whole process and everything that they're doing. We visit, you know, we visit sites. They also look after beaches. So, you know, we get the opportunity to go down to the beach and look at how their business is operating on the beach as well, which is quite exciting. So I think what's interesting for the listener is to know that you've got an ISO background, so an accreditation background, yes. which enables these companies to go to tender for government and big business so that they have ticked all their boxes. So what I think is interesting about you, Kobe, is you get to see literally best practice of how companies operate, not just pretending yeah. to be, but they literally have to be best practice in order to qualify for this ISO accreditation. So I think yeah. that, that gives you a unique perspective, doesn't it, that you get to see under the cover of these businesses, not about the show or the, the bells and whistles, you truly see how their processes work. So how does that make you a better business coach? Yeah, look, I think what's been really interesting over my career, which is, you know, now getting up to the 20-year mark um, in this industry is, uh, or that part of the industry, is that there is a framework that you can follow and it's almost like the whole recipe from start to finish of how to set up and run and execute a business process. And I think that a lot of us, you know, and I'm guilty of this too, we kind of start our businesses, we kind of bumble along um, trying to figure out which way to go and, you know, what to do and what not to do. Um, and how to do things. And I think one thing that's interesting about the international standards framework is there is an international standard to set up this, the quality system part of your business, which is, you know, how do you make sure that you deliver the promise you're making to your customer? You can follow an international framework and there's 1.8 million companies around the world that are following that framework. Uh, there's no other system, there's no other process that has more companies in it that's been validated that it works. And those are you know, a lot of those companies are the largest companies in the world. So if you're somebody who's listening to this and knows that you're destined for more and really wants to grow your business, wants to know that you're following the right systems and process and frameworks, you can look to that. And 
you know, it has had in the past a, a little bit of a boring kind of, you know, background to it. But it, but it really is the, um, the nuts and bolts of processes to follow so that you can set up systems. So if you're somebody who's looking at maybe targeting larger corporate clients with your, you know, maybe your copywriting business or your marketing agency, then you will need to start to show that you've got systems and processes in place. And if I think back to starting, you know, starting this particular version of the business in 2004, someone said to me that the only difference between small and large businesses is systems and process. Because we kind of, we can come up with an offer, we can get people's attention, we can close the deal, we can deliver the value, we can have the customer realize the value benefits. Um, and, you know, we can have a little bit of money left over in the form of profit. Uh, and that's a business in a nutshell. But if we really want to grow and we want to have a business that stands the test of time, we need to start building systems and processes. And that ISO background that I've got, it's kind of, I was like, well, what's the, you know, where's the cheat sheet for this? I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's a couple of international standards I can follow and, and I don't have to go figure anything out. It's proven that it works. I just have to implement it. So that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm notoriously, you know, a lot of people say, you're not, you, you know, you're, you're a product, hyper-productive, hyper-action person. I'm actually quite lazy. And I'm just looking for the shortcut and, and kind of the, the, the minimized list of things to do that I can follow and a guarantee that it's going to work. Um, and, and, and that's how I come to this point, you know, and, and that's what we do now is we, we try and transfer that knowledge across the businesses so that they can understand how they can grow. That's awesome. So, Kobe, just put yourself in the shoes of a copywriter who's listening. Yes. Or a marketing yes. agency is small, right, just getting started. And they, I'm not saying that all copywriters are this way, but maybe systems and procedures don't necessarily resonate with them because they're yep. creative or they just want to yep. have their own business without having the the uh, you know the structures imposed upon them. What would be some of the systems you think they should implement early on in the business that will yep. save them time and help them be more attractive to working with larger businesses? I think the very first one that you have to have is your 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 formula your winning formula or your grandmother's recipe for finding and onboarding and maintaining A players for your team. You know, I, I think that, you know, you, you cannot operate by yourself. You're going to have a bookkeeper. You know, you're going to have a finance person. Maybe you're trying to do everything yourself, but, you know, inherently you're going to find yourself doing boring things like the finances or the BAS statement or the, you know, the zero or mind your own business stuff. But if you were thinking about starting to grow a team, if you haven't already got one or two people, um, Andrew Grove talks about this in the book, um, um, High Output Management. Um, it's a fantastic book. He talks about the very first system or policy or procedure that you should have is your team building one, which is how do I, where do I go to find, you know, where, where are the people hanging out that are the A players that I can bring on board that have the specific stunning talent for the, the task that I need completed? And it could be your accountant, Right. It could be the very first thing. You're a creative person. You don't want to know about numbers. You don't want to do anything like that. Where do I find a really good accountant who is going to be an A player on my team that's going to help my business grow and minimize tax and, you know, not avoid tax, but minimize tax and, and really help me grow and give me the right advice? And then where do I find, you know, maybe a couple of people to do some technical work or the creative part that goes with my copywriting, you know, the graphics, for example? That's the very first one. And then I think the next one is... At some point in time, you're going to need to choose whether you're going to be the person that creates demand for your business, the marketing person for your own business, or you're going to be the salesperson, or you're going to be the technician that does the work, or you're going to be the operational person 
or you're going to be the finance person, you will need to make that decision. You will need to decide eventually where you specialise in your own business. And then you're going to need to say, hey, when you do this thing, don't forget to do these five steps. And that might be develop a checklist, write a bit of a policy or a procedure, record a video, you know, start building a little intranet or a website. Um, and, and also have conversations with people as they're being onboarded. This is the task. I've got some money and I'm going to get you to do some tasks and I'm going to give that money to you in exchange for these tasks. So whether it's generating leads for your business or generating lead, you know, you're going to be a technician for your customer. So you're an agency, you've got a technician, a marketing, you know, copywriter or a graphics person working as the technician for the customer. That's part of your value. You're going to be out doing the sales. Hey, while you're doing this project for this customer, don't forget to do these key things. This is how it needs to be specialized or customized for this particular client. And that's where systems come in place. And some people say that systems stifle creativity. I actually argue it's the other way around. I love cooking. And, you know, I can remember a time when, you know, I, 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 you know it's Christmas time for us. One of the things I do is I make a pumpkin pie at Christmas and, you know, the whole family sits around at Christmas time making this pumpkin pie and a couple of years in a row I failed, you know, and I, and I kind of left it to the last minute. I was trying to do it Christmas morning and I kind of didn't get the pastry right and I didn't get the pumpkin right and, and everyone was looking forward to it. So I started to write down what the steps were that I was following and actually find the right choice recipe that I was downloading from the internet and following. And so then what I was able to do is go, okay, that's the right one. I did a practice run, um, you know, on the, on the Christmas Eve one year and I got it right. And then, you know, I went, okay, excellent. I've got the steps written down. I've got the ingredients written down. I set up the right conditions. I get the, you know, the oven pre-worn. And the result was I was able to make this stunning, pumpkin pie with all of the right spices in it and the nutmeg and the cinnamon and all this kind of stuff. And so the lesson I learned was that I could then improve it because I had the steps written down. And so, you know, my call to action for people is that if you think you're going to stifle creativity, if you actually have a few steps figured out, you can perfect practice makes perfect. And then you can start to analyze the parts that you want to improve instead of just kind of creatively guessing every single time and not quite sure whether it's going to come out right. And that's the essence of what we would call a quality management system, you know, which is our kind of core business, which is let's work out the winning formula and then we can tweak parts of the winning formula based on what the customer wants improved. Yeah, it's great. And I think it comes down to that belief that sometimes um, it's through freedom is discipline. You know, if you want true freedom, you have to have discipline, even though it seems counterintuitive because yes. it's freedom to do what you like. Well, you can, but within the system, then you can do what you like, right? So I love yeah. that, that thing about um, through, through discipline yeah. is freedom. Let's get into this concept of the, uh, I can't even say 36,000 very easily because you've made like <laughs> 40 there, Kobe. That would have been mm-hmm. a very much mm-hmm. easier thing to say. But let's talk about the thousands of posts. Yeah. What were you, let's be methodical. What were you trying to promote here? Yeah, so look, I think um, let me tell a little story about um, one of the biggest regrets I've got, and this will resonate with your audience because I know that some of the people with marketing agencies will be involved in it. I remember when Google AdWords came out. So Google AdWords, I was sitting at my desk, was like, it wasn't when it came out, I was like, actually, I've got to do something. It's like, let me say it was 2012. I can picture myself sitting at my desk. You know, we had this like renovated old farmhouse um, in in French's Forest and we're sitting, you know, sitting there looking out the window and and, um, you know, it was like I had this timber, timber bench pushed up against the wall and I was sitting there talking to somebody and I was like, I was looking and I was like thinking, you know what, 
you know, we, we'd thought about doing the yellow pages and taking out this big ad in the yellow pages. And I was, that's not going to work. I don't really know where to put the ad in the yellow pages. And I haven't got, you know, $50,000 to spend on 10, $5,000 ads. And then I saw this Google AdWords product and, and everyone was talking, oh, just Google it, just Google it. And people kept saying Google. And then I saw this ad product. I was like, oh my God, does that mean that I can actually pay to put a post at the top? And I had a bit of a play with AdWords and we got some leads. And I was like, oh my God, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was fiddling. I built my website by myself in Dreamweaver and I had this really clunky website. The copy wasn't great. You know, it, it was a copywriter marketing agency's nightmare. I had frogs all over it. And everyone's like, what's the relevant to a frog, to a business improvement, you know, management consulting, coaching organization. And so um, basically I kind of fiddled with AdWords and then, I had a conversation with someone and she's like, you know, we've got to turn it off because we've got to fix the website. We don't want to direct traffic to a dodgy website. And I was like, well, I kind of directed some traffic and the phone rang and it's like, I don't see the problem. Now, at the time, the keywords that I can buy were two cents. Now those keywords are $8. You know, and if you're an investing person, go do the percentage increase from, you know, two, three, four, five cents, which was like 100% growth, 100% growth. You know, to now it's hundreds of thousands of percent growth to the to the keywords now is ridiculous. I think one of the keywords we buy now is twenty five dollars a click, um, and so I really regret you know the the four or five years that I lost in time and leads and business growth, and so I went and did a um, you know a program with Gary Vaynerchuk's a close friend of mine. Some of your listeners will and and. And your audience will have heard of Gary, Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I have a close relationship with VaynerMedia and, and that organization. And I did a program with Gary where a dozen of us went um, and did a kind of a global tour and, and met a whole bunch of his contacts and spent 10 days together traveling the world. And it was, it was fantastic. In that moment where I was sitting in a hotel room with, with Gary in London, uh, in a like a conference room and there was nine of us in the room and you know I was with his team we'd we'd spent some time together in Sydney and we'd gone to London um, and we're sitting in London we were there for three days in this room just workshopping and brainstorming our organizations and what we need to do needed to do and and we started talking about um, organic reach and I had this same gut feeling around organic reach specifically with LinkedIn but also Instagram and also YouTube and I was having this gut, same gut feeling. I was like, oh, my God, like I feel the same way as I felt I remembered I feeling with, with the Google AdWords product. And so I kind of made this conscious decision um, and it was, it was January. It was just after Christmas. It was, uh, sorry, it was just before Christmas. It was December 2019. And I made this decision, we need to go super hard on social media, like harder than ever before. And we've been running a YouTube channel and kind of dabbling with it. I'd kind of been you know, taking some of Gary's advice and kind of half doing it, but really not taking it seriously. And I, it was December, 2019. And I basically said, that's it. I'm making the commitment. I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can. And I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm not going to let anybody like say no. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm not going to let anybody get in my way. I'm just going to do it. And so um, because I figured that my team would then react instead of letting my team kind of on their own timeline, build the website, which, took us four or five years to get right um, for us to turn up, finally turn AdWords on again. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to do it this time and I'm going to let the marketplace decide what they do and don't, don't uh, like. And so this lesson I learned was like to push through and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try and post a hundred times a day and then we're going to see what works and what doesn't work. 
And the statement that Gary had made in that moment in that room was, the worst thing that can happen to you with social media is for you to have one post go viral because you will spend your whole life paralyzed as to why that post went viral. And he said, you're better off to get the views across a hundred posts than to get the views on one post. And I was like, the penny dropped. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's about constantly being at the top of the feed. And, you know, the people that aren't going to buy from you and are not interested in what you're saying are going to unfollow you anyway. And the crowd will find you that are interested in what you've got to say and the content. And like the people that have found this podcast, for example, you know, um, Hopefully, I'm giving the people that are listening some value in terms of doing this. And if you're thinking about doing your own marketing and your own social media and your own podcasts and your own websites and all that kind of stuff, then do it because your tribe will find you and the people that want to hear what you've got to say will find you. And the lesson that I learned was, first and foremost, don't take no for an answer. Two, listen to your intuition. And three, massive action. And the massive action for us was let's try and see if we can do 100 posts a day. And that's why it's 36,000 because there was a few days there where we didn't get to the 100. Um, But for 365 days of 2020, you know, there was kind of one more piece to the puzzle, which was we'd spent some time in New York in the January of 2020. And I literally flew home through Hong Kong and there was this kind of crazy fluey thing starting to happen. And I had no idea. And I kind of came back and, you know, and then got into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this pandemic, like the world shut down. And I was like, well, would you bet on a business that stopped marketing and stopped advertising in the, in the pandemic? Or would you bet on a business who went massive action on marketing and advertising? And so I was like, well, I'm not going to let this pandemic stop me. I'm just going to go as hard as I possibly can. And like while everyone was kind of sitting around at home, I just rallied the team. They got really excited instead of really depressed. And out we went. And we managed to get to the end of 2020 um, and, and kind of average about 100 posts a day. And that, hence, 36,000 posts. <laughs> what a great story, Kobe. And t- talk to me about the outcome of, of this campaign. What have you seen happen? Yeah, look, I think, I think the first thing is, is, um, what, is what is it? Per- perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, the market decides what is quality. And I think the biggest blockage that I see, and I had myself, was that people kind of fail to post because they're like, oh, it's not perfect and it's particularly creative. It's not exactly how I like it and it's not exactly how I want to portray myself and it's not my right brand positioning. And the lesson that I learned was the market decides what's quality. The market decides what it wants to hear and what it wants to see. And then the results from doing a lot of posts, you will figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it's kind of a way of doing market research. So the first thing I found was that you've got to let, you know, your audience and the audience that are going to find you to decide what quality is so we went quantity first over quality we practiced and it was a form of excuse me it was a form of practicing and perfect practice makes perfect so at 100 posts a day i was posting 100 times a day and say for example you post maybe once a day so i'm going to be 100 days in front of you at the end of the first day in terms of i practiced it i've done 100 push-ups and you've done one push-up you know or so it's really about what happened was after a month, for example, we started to go, hang on a minute. Um, we realized that the newest feature of a platform was the thing that gave us ridiculous organic reach. And the oldest feature of a platform, the original feature of a platform, basically gave us nothing. So to give you an example, I've got 15,000 followers on my Facebook page. When I post on my Facebook page, just like a picture or a text or something, it gets one view, one view, you know? 
But if I look at Facebook stories, and this is kind of right now as we're recording this post, this podcast, I'll probably get a couple of thousand views on a Facebook story post on the company, best practice company Facebook page. So, but we feel compelled. We feel like, oh, what if someone comes to my Facebook page and they want, you know, they want to see the post because the stories disappear? Well, no one's seeing it anyway, unless some, maybe that is the person, the one view when I post that sees it is the person that's coming back and it doesn't get views over time. Um, I've got a lot of followers on my Instagram page and I'm finding that Instagram reels are what's working what, right now. And although I feel compelled to post an image or an inspirational card on my Instagram page, I don't need to do that 10 times a day. Um, you know, and if you look at my Instagram, I think on my Instagram page, I'm up to about 2000 posts, but the stories and the reels and the videos and the, and the Instagram TV, that is where, you know, as the new feature comes out, that's what we learn. I was like, for, for something that's kind of a bit boring, you know, how do we grow value in a business? I try to make it interesting, but I just found that, oh, that's really interesting. And so I kind of, you know, without going too far into all of the lessons, focus on the new feature and just, if you haven't got time and if you're super busy and you don't know what you're doing, just post the new feature. So if right now it's Instagram Reels, um, it's YouTube Shorts, um, it's um, LinkedIn's kind of gone dead. Polls were working at the beginning of 2022, but but LinkedIn's kind of gone a bit funny. But if you're going to post on LinkedIn, do a poll because you'll get, um, you know, you'll probably get 10% of your followers um, will we'll see it. But if you post an image or a text, you might get maybe 1% of your followers in terms of organic reach. Um, and so I was kind of, all right, what's working, what's not working, where is, where is it worth putting my effort in? So the, the final thing that's kind of happened is um, people value the work. And I think that I've realized that people value the hard work and they want to know the lessons that you learned. Like, you know, you just asked me that question. That, and so I've been able to share those lessons and, and I've got the attention of people that I want to collaborate with because they can see I've put in the work. They can see I've got the audience. They can see I've got the post. They can, they can listen to the story and they're like, actually, I want to work with someone who's done the work, not someone who's saying they're going to do the work, if that makes sense. I think what's so interesting here too, Kobe, is, you know, you weren't really focused on lead generation, for example. You know, it wasn't no, about this specific outcome. It was just saying, okay, this is my goal to increase my followers, et cetera. So when someone does look and they want to partner with you, you, you know, you want to get a book published or you want to, you know, do something that requires um, a thought leader, they want to choose the thought leader in that field, you are going to come to the top of the pile because you've got those numbers. And people call it vanity, vanity metrics, but it does play a role, doesn't it? What's, what's your thought about this vanity business? Yeah, 100%. Look, I, look, I think that um, the, the, the discussion about vanity metrics is really interesting because, you, you know, when I started posting on YouTube and, you know, this like regularly posting like a couple of videos a week, I was like, no one's watching this. Um, and the first thing that happened was it was my mum commenting on my YouTube videos, you know, um, and, the, and, and you can get depressed because you can think, you know, you put your heart, you're invested in it, you put your heart and soul into it and you put your message out there into the internet and then it's like crickets, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's nothing. Um, and, and I think that the, the risk is that, you know, the, the concept of chasing vanity metrics is, particularly with kids, is like they'll post on Instagram and they'll, you know, they, they might post something that's, you know, obviously not the right thing to be posting. You know, it might have a, 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 an implication later on. And I'm talking about, you know, young teenage girls, for example. Um, you know, and those vanity metrics, oh, I didn't get any likes. And so you get depressed and you delete it because it's, it, you know, the internet is a popularity contest. 
at the end of the day. And the people that get attention can then divert that attention. They can either sell you know, a share of that attention or they can trade that attention or be an agency and bring people's, you know, bring products to, um, you know, to their audience that are, that are relevant. And, you know, we can talk about that in more detail down the track. But I think the vanity metrics, there are some that are important. And I think that um, they're, they're, it's not about being emotionally invested in the likes or the followers, but it's understanding the economics of the likes and the followers. And, and there is a lot of people saying, don't focus on the likes and don't focus on the followers, just put your message out there. I do agree with that. But the reason why the like button exists and the reason why the followers exist, the follower exists so that the advertising m- machine behind um, Instagram and Facebook that Mark Zuckerberg's designed is so that he can find like-for-like audiences and you can buy advertising. But the like button is because the algorithm doesn't know whether you like something or not. And so they're saying, well, how will we know if somebody likes this content or not? Oh, put a like button. It's not rocket science. And so then basically the algorithm has a thing called view velocity and and engagement velocity. So comment velocity, like velocity, and view velocity. And so what happens is the algorithm will say, for example, show on the new feature, show 10% of your followers um, the content. And if those followers engage with that content, then it'll show the next 10%. And if, and if a percentage, the right percentage at the right level engages with it, it'll be the next 10%. And then it'll go into discovery mode. And the best platform right now to, to kind of prove this point is TikTok. TikTok's not really interested in the follower side. Like you will see some content from the, from the people that you follow on TikTok, but it's interested in the view velocity and the hover velocity and the like velocity. And if you've got good like velocity, so lots of likes in, say, the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, one hour, then, um, then it will show it, you know, on the For You page for other people that fit similar demographics. And so you'll get discovered much faster. Um, and so, again, you know, like TikTok, I was like, oh, my God, you know, do I have to do TikTok? I was like, well, yes, we do. Yes, we do, because that's the new platform. That's the new feature. And the other, th- the other kind of lesson I learned was that, that users get the average age of users gets older very quickly on every platform. And so if you ask the audience, you know, who has a TikTok account, you know, you might 30% of the people listening might have a TikTok account. You ask the same question in 12 months time, it'll be 70% have a TikTok account because A, they want to check on their kids, you know, mothers want to check on their kids or B, there's curiosity, you know? And so it's, it's, and it's easily accessible. So, right, we're there on TikTok and I've had ridiculous follow, organic follower growth on TikTok. We're doing a little bit of TikTok advertising and, and people are coming up to me and saying, oh, I've seen, your t- I've seen your TikToks. You know, random people as I'm walking down the street, oh, you're that guy off TikTok. So um, I'm learning that lesson and which means I can advise clients and I can, you know, we can build our own business and brands. It's something we've got to learn. So I'm just going to do a deep, deep dive on it. But do I want to do, no, I don't do dances on TikTok. Um, you know, I just provide the same content, the same message and, and, I'm, and it's fine. I'm finding an audience, you know. Okay, but I think what's so great about what you're saying is that you really do walk your talk with your business. If you're going to advise your clients on how to grow and improve and all that, you, you, you become your own guinea pig. Absolutely. Um, for people listening, I, I'm curious too about the mechanics of that production line of yeah. know, the 36,000 posts. <laughs> yeah, just look- talk to me about how you began. Like what spreadsheets did you have? What, you know, Sprout Social, what was it that you used in order to get this content out to the world? So talk us through the mechanics. 
Yeah, look, so, um, I mean, everybody loves to hear the apps and the spreadsheets and the scheduling system and the calendar and all that kind of stuff. So get all of that stuff and leave that at home. Um, so basically, um, what we do at Best Practice, the Sausage Factory, if you like, is is basically do one big piece of content, which might be, you know, write, if, you're a, if you love writing, um, write a long post, write a long blog post. And then, um, and then we do a thing we call splintering. So we take a really big piece of content um, created in the easiest, most frictionless way that you're comfortable with. So for me, that's video. So I can talk the chrome off a tow bar, as my mum likes to say. I talk a lot. Like, you know, I can go one for one with my mum, you know, talking and I've just spent the, you know, the, the weekend with my mum and it has literally been one for one. I got the gift of the gab from her. So I can talk to video, I can talk to a camera and I can do that for hours and hours on end. So what my, my team, and I've got some people helping me, is the first thing when we kind of started was, you know, picture me sitting in front of an iPhone uh, with the YouTube app and pressing go and talking. YouTube's little application gave me the ability to just go live on YouTube. So I would just go live for an hour and then I just needed to write a title for the video and then it left it on my YouTube channel. And so then my team figured out and, and I had one person helping me that they could export the subtitles from the YouTube video as a CSV file and then basically turn that into a blog post. And then they would say, oh, okay, let's go through the blog post and fix the spelling and do that. But first they started fixing the subtitles because there was spelling mistakes from my accent, my Australian accent in the, in the subtitles. So they were going back and they were like, hang on a minute, we can turn this into a blog post. So I had a couple of people who wanted to come and get some work experience working with me. And I said, well, okay, cool. Um, you want to get some work experience, come and hang out. And they were like, hey, um, I want to fiddle with your YouTube channel because you've, you've got a few subscribers. Um, can I play with your YouTube channel? I'm like, sure. And they were like, hey, we think we can actually pull the subtitles out, turn it into a blog post and put it back up on the website. Excellent. Then um, another uh, family friend comes in and wanted some work experience. And he came in and he said, actually, um, I think I can get the audio out of your YouTube videos. So he stripped out the audio file and he posted that up as a podcast. He came, this is Luke, and Luke now works full-time for us. Um, Luke basically went into the YouTube channel, exported every single audio file and uploaded it to my podcast. And in one week of work experience, I had 100 episodes on my podcast. So it's called splintering. And then you can take a screenshot of a video and you can create an Instagram post and you can put a bit of text over it. You know, So... I think the, the two things that are your friend are the platform itself. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, they've got the creative, the ability to create the content natively. Um, and then the, your next friend is Canva and Canva's free. Um, and so basically going in and using the templates that are in Canva to do some of the stuff. I'm not a super creative person, really good with a pencil and paper, but that's about it as far as it comes to, um, you know, making cool little posts. So, um, and then I think the next thing is, is by doing the work, people started to say, Hey, I want to come and work for you. And so I have an intern program. I have a, it's a, it's a voluntary intern program. And before you shout down the volunteer, you know, free labor, we let people come in and play with my Instagram account. It's got 200,000 followers. And I let interns come in and I say, if you want to come and fiddle around with an Instagram account, it's got 200,000 followers, a YouTube channel that's got, a, I think I've got about 16 or 17,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel, 15,000 on the Facebook page, 18,000 on TikTok. Um, if you want to come in and play with that and fiddle around, you can try some content. You, I'm sure you've got some great ideas. 
let's see if the audience likes your ideas. And so we run this intern program. Uh, we've got a, an, a relationship with a university. Uh, the university students come in and do their work placement, which is 12 weeks, 12, one day a week for 12 weeks. And then we use that as a talent scouting program. And so the people that show me that they're motivated and committed and turn up and, and energetic and kind of fit our culture, I offer them casual work. So they don't have to go and make coffees anymore or pull beers or pour, you know, pour drinks in a cocktail bar. Um, you know, they can continue to do that if they want to, but if they want to get started in their career while they're still studying, we make, you know, we, we, we modify ourselves and I will go into the office on days when there's casuals available because they don't have uni to record content to fit around their casual work. Um, and that's how we make our content. And so we, we do it, we splinter it. So now Sprout Social, we do use it, but we don't rely on it, it because I think people get too caught up in creating a calendar and saying, this is what I'm going to post and this is when I'm going to post it. You are far better off just focusing on making the content instead of planning to make the content. Just make it. And once it's finished, press post. Don't worry about when is the best time to post it. Because when you start in the beginning, two things. No one's watching and you've got no followers. So it doesn't matter when you post. So to get discovered, you need kind of a few followers and they need to resonate with your content. So just start posting and then once you and, – and set yourself a target of one post a day or 10 posts a day. And all I did was set myself a target of 100 posts a day. We didn't have time to schedule it. We didn't have time to plan it. We just went, let's just capture the messages. Let's just – customize it let's see what works what doesn't work and then posts started to pop and Gary Vaynerchuk predicted that they would and they did at about the time that he said they would they popped and and the audience started finding the content and and the YouTube channel for me now is lead generation so I'm posting content on YouTube people are searching on YouTube and trying to teach themselves how to do something I've got content there to help them um, and that's where we get you know we get for one one of our businesses we do get inquiries through that mechanism Awesome. I love it. It's kind of that sort of sense of ready, um, what is it, ready, aim, fire? Is that the one? The yeah, ready, yeah, fire, aim, right, yeah. the, the reverse yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk from a copywriter's perspective because I know you really value the, the art and craft of copy. Um, mm -hmm. When you're hiring a copywriter or an agency or anyone who's doing content for you, what do you look for? And if someone's maybe wanted to pitch to somebody like you to become a copywriter, yes. what, what advice would you give them? Yeah, look, I think the, the, the first thing is, and you're exactly right, I think copywriting is, you know, is one of the, you know, one of the amazing crafts because it's, it's, it's voices without people. You know, the, the, the voice gets captured and left as a message that is, becomes then, you know, something that can sit there for eternity. Um, so, so I think that, you know, the first thing is I have a huge amount of respect for someone who can actually capture the written word and craft it in such a way that punctuation is in the right place and, you know, the right tone is conveyed um, to, get, to get the message right. So I think in terms of how you pitch is really try and understand the challenge and be super curious with the person that you're speaking to or pitching to about the challenge, you know, what they're trying to achieve, um, you know, and standing a bit cliche what their goals are. But you can, you can then educate them about what their goals could be or should be. Um, and so I think that, you know, copywriters for me is, is about, um, you know, being able to convey the message in the right tone um, and also understanding that, that it, it is as very special as school that has got, it's got hassle factor attached to it. So it's a hassle for somebody who's not inclined like me. You know, I'm still, I just type with two fingers, right? Um, and, and I just can't get it down fast enough 
um, to convey my message. If I'm left with the time and without the pressure, I can craft a, a lovely written message, but it's got a lot of hassle attached to it. And so what you're doing is you're helping somebody with something that's got a lot of skill in terms of conveying the message and, and saying, look, I'm going to take the hassle out of this for you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to your tone. I'm going to listen to the message. I'm going to also maybe do a little bit of market research and I'm going to understand what resonates and, and the people that will read the written word in place of watch a video, what they like to listen, you know, what they like to consume. Um, and I'm going to feed that back to you. And then I'm going to be looking at the, the, the success metrics, you know, the clicks, the links, the shares, the backlinks, you know, whatever that might be, if it's, you know, web, web-based or caption-based. Because, you know, let's not forget that, you know, although I'm kind of implying I'm talking about the long form, let's not forget that a two-line caption on Instagram is copywriting, you know, and that's as important. So, you know, someone's like, oh, I don't know how to craft a message. I don't know how to write a catchy headline. I don't know how to, you know, do those pieces. You're helping with that because that's a hassle. You understand that you're, you're, take, you're making something easy, something more successful um, and something more beautiful uh, than if they did it themselves. Awesome. Great advice, Kobe. So just to wrap up, if um, somebody wanted to connect with you or find you, work with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, look, I'm all over, obviously, just about every social platform. Um, uh, LinkedIn is, you know, has till recently been my favourite platform. You can get me via a direct message on LinkedIn or a direct message on Instagram. Um, my email address is really simply, simple. It's Kobe, my first name, K-O-B-I, at bestpractice.biz. Um, drop me an email. Um, I get I get thousands of emails, but I will see it um, and I will try to reply to it. So direct message me um, or, or pick up the telephone. Like I, I love a conversation. You can get eventually get through our our um, our office. So just go to bestpractice.biz, check out the business and uh, and and give me a call. Tell me what the challenge is that you've got. Tell me what your goal is, uh, and tell me what it is that you want to achieve. Because if I, if you can be super clear and really quick be super clear about what it is that you want or how I can help you um, or, or what you're interested in or what your challenge is, then uh, that's going to help me quickly respond and, and give you as much value as I possibly can. Um, and whether that's work with me or whether, you know, work, you know, with me or for me or however that, that works. But uh, if we can do that, we can do that quickly. Cause I think the secret to success in business as Gary Vaynerchuk will tell you is do more and fast. And, and Kobe, what I love about you, you your generosity, you know, you. you are very generous with your time and very generous with your information. You, you leave nothing on the table. You give everything. So on that note, thank you for sharing your wonderful wisdom with us today. Always very welcome. I hope I gave someone some value today. And, uh, and it's always very exciting to talk to you, Bernadette. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Kobe. I think we all agree that 36,000 posts in a year is a pretty impressive achievement. And I think it's also clear that only someone with the laser-like focus and discipline that Kobe has could possibly achieve that. And, and what I took from that conversation with Kobe is that the market will decide what is quality and what isn't. It's not for us to make that decision. And what we need to do is focus on creating the content and getting it out there so that we can raise our profiles. So that when the time comes for that prospective client to consider us, we are the first person or company they think of. So if you'd like to find out how other copywriters create their systems, their pipelines of content, and how they market their work, why not join our community at copyclub.com.au? 
Because we know that the fastest way to find success is to have a team of people around you who hold you accountable, who you can learn from, who you can ask questions of. That's what Copy Club can be for you. It'll give you the momentum you need to keep going while you're building your new copywriting career and have some fun along the way and meet some great people. So as always, I'll leave you with an inspiring quote. Do what you can where you are with what you have. And my joke of the day, because I do know you're waiting for it, a bear walks into a bar and says, give me a whiskey and cola. Why the big pause? asked the bartender. The bear shrugged. I don't know. I was born with them. (laughs) On that note, I'll say goodbye. All the best and take care. (laughs) 